so we went to Matthew chapter 8 and we started in verse 2. Um, uh, today's going to be just kind of my testimony about some things that happened uh, to me in Norway and, and especially what happened for me when I was in Norway. I never had a, had a chance to uh, really kind of give that testimony out and there were some people asking for it and wanted me to put it out there and really I knew that their uh, intention was to take it and uh, twist it and, and find fault wherever they could in it so but uh, praise the Lord we're not we're not with them anymore and they they can't do that so we're gonna go on so in uh, Matthew in chapter 8 we're going to start in verse 2 it says and behold there came a leper and worshiped him saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. And he, uh, this is one of my favorite scenes from The Chosen. They're walking through, uh, the, you know, on the road to get to somewhere. And this man appears, and he's desperate. And he says, I know that you can if you will. I know that you can. I know that you can do this if you just will do it. And in the, in the scene, you know, it's, you know, we're making drama or whatever, but you can see the disciples are kind of leery about him. They've not seen Jesus really do this yet. And uh, so they, they're trying to take care of it. And Jesus says, just a minute, I can, I've got this. And he goes to him and he says, I, I will. And he just touches him and he's cleansed. And Jesus here is really portraying the, the character of the father. Because God is our healer. And when we look at these things, I'm just going to go through a few of these scriptures, you really start to see a pattern of how God really looks at his people and looks at the people's needs. You know, we've, we've been taught that God is a, uh, a, a judge. Uh, he's almost vindictive. And he's angry uh, or saddened or immensely disappointed in us as creations that he made because we are full of sin and we are always unworthy. But if you take a look at what Jesus did in these instances, you can see what the true character of God, what the true nature of his heart towards his people is. And these people that are healed, they're not the greatest and the most holy, the, 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 the ones that follow the law the most closely, they are just the ones that believed. And if we go on, uh, if we look into verse 5, we'll see another thing here. It says, 
And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick with the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. Now here already we see that just this centurion comes. There's no, there's no uh, faith buildup. There's no, uh, there's no worthiness in this man. And he comes and he just says, I'm, I have a sick servant uh, that needs to be healed. And Jesus says, I will come and I will heal him. And the centurion is kind of surprised by this. And he says, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof. But speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth. And I say to another, come, and he cometh, and my servant do this, that I do it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto him, unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so such great faith, no, not in Israel. Now, what is he talking about here, this great faith? It was that Jesus did not need to physically be there to heal the person. And all you have to do is speak it into existence and it'll be. And at this time in the uh, the Jewish tradition, they would come and they would anoint the people, they would pray for them and all these things, and they would have to say the right words and do all the stuff. Sounds kind of familiar. We know churches that do that. They have, they have exorcism rites, they have this kind of rite, they have this ritual that does this and this ritual that does that. And so the centurion, especially the Romans, they had many gods and there were gods for certain classes of people. The centurion, he would probably have been uh, very close to Mars because it was the god of war. And they prayed to them. And so they would do certain sacrifices to the gods and they would do certain rituals and things to bless their home. And they would have to have so many dead chickens and so many of this and so many of that. And this ritual to have some a blessing was costly to a lot of people. And, and so when Jesus comes and he says, I will go and heal him. And he says, I'm not worthy for you to come in under my roof. I'm not, I'm not ready for this. I'm not prepared for a ritual. And so he says, just speak the word and I know he'll be healed. And Jesus notices. He says, okay, this man is not about the rituals. He's not about, you know, doing sacrifices to make things happen. He's paying attention and he sees that there's something special about this man, Jesus, and says, if you'll just say the word, he'll be healed. So Jesus marvels at his faith and says, I have not even found this in Israel. I've not found people that will just come and say, 
if you just speak the word and and forego all the extra stuff, the anointings and the the oils and and the the rites of of healing and all the things that they would do, that God would step up and and do the work. So he said. So that I say unto you in verse 11, that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now that sounds, that's a nice thing to say. But what he's talking about is that this gospel God is opening up to his people is for everyone. And he's foreshadowing and saying that in the land of Israel, God's chosen people will be cast out because they will not accept him. It says unto the centurion, Go thy way, thou hast believed, so it will be done unto thee. And the servant was healed in that same self hour. So here we have two. One's a leper. Now we know that um, lepers were unclean. You were not allowed to be within their their presence. You couldn't touch them. You you know they had a certain place that they had to be, and it was really not just because it was an infectious disease and they were trying to control the, the outbreak and that kind of thing, but it was more of, we see it when the, the, they start asking Jesus about the blind man who was born blind and says, uh, what sin did, did he commit and what sin did his fathers and, and mother commit that he would be born blind? So, Really, in this time, if you were afflicted with something, it was because you were a sinner. And they looked at you as not only physically unclean, but spiritually unclean. And so they were very much a bunch of Job's friends. You have done this. There's a reason why you're messed up. There's a reason why you're being afflicted, so we cannot be, uh, be around you. God must not like you, or this wouldn't happen. So when the the leper comes to Jesus, he says, I know that you can, if you will. And Jesus says, okay, I will, you're done, we're we're good. And it wasn't just about cleansing the leprosy. Jesus gave this man his life back. And another leper, uh, later he says, go and and do the sacrifice or, or do the things that Moses required so that you can be brought back into society. And it lets us know that these people that are coming are not worthy. Their holiness is not great. They are not men of super relationships with God. They don't have, uh, they're not religious. And we look at the centurion in the same way. He was not worthy. He even acknowledged this. I'm not worthy for you to set foot under my house, under my roof. But God did the work anyway, because it wasn't about how worthy he was. It was about that he believed 
and him that sent that God had sent. Just like we, we read in John a few weeks ago about the works of God is believing in Jesus. Doing the things that are required is believing in Jesus. So then we look into the next verse. Jesus does something else real quick here. It says, And when Jesus come unto Peter's house and saw his wife's mother laid and sick with a fever, he touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she arose and ministered unto them. Now, this is a different kind of situation here. She, she's a believer. But look what she did. Did she come and ask? Did she say, I need this? This is something I have to have? Nobody came and asked Jesus to do this. He did it on his own. He come and he touched her so that she would be well. So when you are a believer, you can see that Jesus and that God has his blessings there for you. And sometimes, whether you ask for it or not, he's there to bless you. So we are seeing the character of God being portrayed in front of us. Why? Because Jesus says later, and John is, if you've seen me, you've seen the, the Father. Because no man has seen with their eyes the Father, but when you see Jesus and his works, you've seen the character of the Father. And it's a really comforting thing when you look at the character of Jesus and recognize that this is the character of God. The things that Jesus did here on earth were the will of God. So we can start to understand that God loves us. Jesus was not angry with any of these people. The people he was angry with were the ones that really were supposed to know who he was. Because they, they were the ones that knew the Bible. They were the ones that understood the law. And they read the prophets. And they... they they debated about it every day, and it was a thing. But he didn't come for them because they were so wrapped up in their own self-worth and self-righteousness because they had built their, their religion based on their works and their performance so that when it come time for Jesus to appear, they had already distorted their view of what God was saying and what God meant so that Jesus could come and fulfill the law perfectly and fulfill every prophecy about him perfectly and they wouldn't see it. By not seeing it and by being the way that they were, they became the tool in God's hand to fulfill the prophecies that they claimed to know but they never thought that they were going to be the bad ones. So when you see this, the next one it says, And when even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and cast out spirits with his words, and healed all that were sick, 
that it might be fulfilled which was spoken in Elias the prophet, saying, Isaiah the prophet, I'm sorry, saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our sickness. So when you look at this, you see that there were, you know, John talked about there were so many things that Jesus did that there weren't enough books in the world to hold it. And this is one of those examples. We don't know how long he was out there that night. How many people came and every one that was sick, he healed. There wasn't one that was found unworthy of healing. There wasn't one that their faith was lacking. So if we move on into chapter 9, we'll see another instance here. It says, He entered into the ship and passed over, and it came to the pass, came into his own city, and behold, they brought unto him a man sick of the palsy, laying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins are forgiven thee. Well, he was, he was sick. He, 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 was, he had the palsy. He was, he was walking, not, not able to walk. He was laying in the bed. So Jesus sees him and says, your sins are forgiven. Well, that's nice, but I can't walk. Right? I remember one time uh, I was in this little church and I was having some really bad issues where I was dizzy all the time with vertigo and stuff and I couldn't hardly stand. And I, I needed healing. I went up and... Uh, this man I'd never met before, he started to pray for me, and then he started telling me, he said, you, are, you, are you ready to give your heart to the Lord? Are you ready to do all this stuff? And I looked at him, and I said, you're nuts, man. I've already given my heart to the Lord. I have the Holy Spirit living within me. I need healing. That's not what I'm here for. I'm not here for you to tell me how to live right. I'm here for God to do something for my body because I have a relationship with the Father. See, this guy was trying to be something else, but Jesus comes to this man who's sick and says, your sins are forgiven you. Well, that's nice. But Jesus knew what was going on. He said, behold, and behold, there were certain of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, wherefore, thank ye evil in your hearts. For whether it is it easier to say, thy sins are forgiven thee, or to say, rise and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on the earth to forgive sins. Then he said unto the sick in the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go into thy house. And he arose and departed to his house. So what Jesus was doing was not what this man was doing to me. Jesus knew there's, there's some people around here that need to understand something. They need to see 
that it isn't just about healing the sick, but I'm here for another purpose. I'm not just one of these, you know, holy men that come along. You know, the world is full of holy men. There's holy men in India that they go around and they can do these things and they can levitate and they can do all this weird stuff. There had been holy men before Jesus. You know, Buddha, he was a holy man. Being a holy man doesn't mean that you're a godly man. So they were looking at this as he was, is he some kind of mystic? And he's coming and saying, no, I'm not here to perform for you. I'm not a snake charmer. And later you find out why he's not a snake charmer, because he really tells them snakes what he thinks of them. But I'm here to forgive sins. And he uses this as a sign. says, so that you will know that I, the Son of Man, can forgive sins on this earth, rise up and walk. Because in their mind, they had this thing twisted. That this sin thing is, is, you know, it's impossible. Because in that day, sin was not forgiven. It was atoned for and moved forward so that they didn't think about it for another year. The high priest would come on the Day of Atonement and make the sacrifice in the Holy of Holies and then push it forward, make it somebody else's problem. Kind of like we do with printing money. But anyway, so um, when Jesus come and said, your sins are forgiven, this is a revolutionary idea. But it's interesting because when you look at this dynamic, you see that healing, the faith that he had to be healed, is the same faith that he had to be saved. Salvation and healing are, it comes from the same source. When did you have enough faith to be saved? When did you come into the world and, and, and wake up one morning and all of a sudden you had all the faith in the world to come to God and be saved and to have your sins forgiven. What faith was there? If we go into the book of Acts, And chapter 3, this is right after the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes and fills them. And, and we read about that in chapter 2 where thousands of people were saved and added and baptized into this. You know, they weren't, they weren't just baptized in water because if you look at the context of chapter 2, they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. Thousands of people that had never known God, never known Jesus, never you know, really heard anything. They didn't know truth. But thousands of people were filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it was the promise of the Bible. It was the promise Jesus gave. So if we look in chapter 3, we see another thing that, that God is doing since he sent the Comforter. Now Peter and John 
went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked in alms. And Peter fastened his eyes upon him with John. Now, this is something that happens that we don't think about. But when the Spirit comes and you look at somebody and that Spirit is on you, you don't see that person anymore. It's like you, you don't see what's happening right then. You see them complete. You see them as God sees them. There was a song several years ago that says, give me your eyes so that I can see. This is what Peter had and John had. He, they were given the eyes of the Holy Spirit and they fastened their gaze upon this man. And he said, look on us. Pay attention. Look at me. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch, which is called Solomon, greatly wandering, and when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us? As though by our own power or holiness, we had made this man walk. And he goes on to tell them, about Jesus. You just killed this guy. You thought you got rid of this thing. But God is with us. In the name of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God is with us. And he is able to do these things. This is a very special scripture to me because um, what God did for me two years ago 
I would go through these terrible times when I would my feet would swell up and they would hurt really bad. I couldn't put any weight on them or anything. And I would go to the doctor and they tested me for gout and all these things. And they couldn't figure out what was wrong. And the first time it happened, it happened, you know, one day. And then the next day I was better. But then it started to get more frequent. And then it would get worse and last longer. And it would start with one foot. And then I wasn't able to walk on that one. And I put strain on the other one to get around. And then it would switch to the other foot. And it would go back and forth and back and forth. And there would come a time, you know, sometimes when my my low back, I would move and it would pop. And all of a sudden it would relieve the pressure in my feet. And I could walk. I could put weight on it again. So... I was uh, dealing with this, and it was very painful, and it was so bad there were times when I would uh, have a wheelchair in the house that was my grandmother's, and I would use it just to get up and go to the, to the restroom. Uh, I had her walker for times that weren't as severe that I could use to get up and go to the restroom. But there were, before that, there were times when I was in bed for months at a time and the pain was unbearable. And uh, the Lord moved on me two years ago, over two years ago now, that he wanted me to go to Norway. And that meant a lot of walking and traveling in chairs that are not meant for backs that have problems. And I said, Lord, I, I can't do this. I, it, it hurts too bad. I have no ability within me to, to get up and make this trek across these airports when I can't make it from my bed to the bathroom sometimes without excruciating pain. And to sit for nine hours in a plane chair that's built for midgets, there was no way that I could do this. But the Lord kept telling me, "It's you need to go. You need to go. And the way the Lord moved about getting me over there and the timing of everything was so profound that I knew that God had made the way. When I, uh, before I left, I had made my ticket and we found a chiropractor. And he was able to get me moving. And I was still in a lot of pain. And, but I was able to, to move around a little better and, and, and deal with it. And I've always been the type, you know, that I don't want to go to God and say, well, you know, I'm, I'm hurting today and I need your help all this stuff because I didn't have, I wasn't good enough. I didn't have enough faith to come to God and, and expect him to do something because I wasn't beyond hope. I wasn't desperate. And let me tell you something. I've been told all my life that our desperation moves God. That's a lie. 
It's our desperation that moves us to God. It has nothing to do. God is sitting there ready to do whatever it is that you need done. But it's not until you become desperate enough to turn to him that it works. Because if you can ever come to the point where you're, you can rely on him without being in that position, it works then too. Because you start to understand that through the character of who God is and what we just read in the Bible, you see that character and how that it didn't just die and was raised again and went up to heaven with Jesus. No, he sent something to come and to anoint his people so that these things would continue. So when I got to to Norway, it was a long, hard trip, and I expected that. I spent a lot of time uh, in Amsterdam in the airport. And uh, when I got to Norway, I told them that the chairs there were very uncomfortable. So, well, didn't you find the good chairs? Like, no, I, I, these were the chairs that I couldn't find any special good chairs. And, you know, they've traveled so much, they know where all the good places are. So I sat in the bad chairs for longer than I was on the plane to get across from Chicago. And it tore me up. My back was killing me. And I got on the plane to go into Trondheim, and I was barely able to move. And that plane was smaller, and the chairs are smaller. And, and when you're a big guy, you know, six foot two and, and some change, and, you know, you're, you're big, those little chairs, they don't provide any comfort. Not especially if there's people right next to you, and you don't want to be all over them. So... I got off the plane, and uh, the brothers that were coming to get me, they got delayed because there was a, a car wreck, and they were about half an hour late. So I had to sit there in more uncomfortable chairs for another half an hour, and I was I was about in tears because I was hurting. And I told God, I said, I know that you provided the way, and you did what you you know, what you were going to do for me so that I'm here. And my whole plan for when I got to Brother Robert's house was that this whole trip, I had planned to be there three months as I'm going to lay on people's couches and fellowship with the people. And then, you know, God would help me get home somehow. Well, I got over there and... You know, things are set up a little different there than they are here in America. Um, they are equipped with walking paths to just about everywhere. And you walk a lot if you want to go places. You know, uh, gas is more expensive there than it is here. But there are alternatives. And you can ride bikes. You can do these things. But you have to be healthy and able to do that. So when I got to uh, Brother Robert's house, I told him about what was going on. And he had had back surgery about six months before then. And it was not doing any good anymore. And he was having a lot of pain too. So here we were. I was 36. He was 38. And we were a couple of old cripples. 
and we had to, you know, get our food and eat, and then we go, you know, he had a couch and I had a couch, and we'd lay there and talk to each other and fellowship and 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 do these things, and one day, uh, the the corona thing had just hit. And they really hadn't come down with the lockdowns yet, but people were getting, you know, uh, nervous about this. And so we get in the car and we take the kids to this play park, um, an indoor play park that had all these trampolines and things in it. And it's in Trondheim. It's like an hour away from his house. So we, uh, we get there and we find these couches and we, we take all of our strength and we push these couches closer together so that we can both lay down and talk to each other while the kids are having fun. And here I am. I'm like, oh, this is my going to be my trip. I'm just going to find couches everywhere I go and I'm going to lay here. And Robert was in the same boat. And so we, uh, we did that. The kids were there. I think, you know, we were there seven, eight hours. They played a long time and we were heading home. And on the way home, we started talking about faith. And we weren't really talking about, um, you know, from a, from a spiritual standpoint, we were doing an intellectual discussion, you know, trying to reason and logic. And so what is faith and why does it work this way and not work that way? And well, if it works that way, then it can't be like this and all of these different things. And, and we talked about it all the way home. And when we got to the town where he lives, there was a gas station and he needed to get some gas and pick up a couple of things. So he pulled into the gas station and I stayed in the car because, you know, I was hurting. And uh, all of a sudden the spirit came down in the car. And he said to me that when the people understand this, they will walk into a church and no one will have to lay hands on them. No one will have to prophesy to them and they will turn around and walk out whole because it's not about building up your faith. It's not about believing something you're told. It's not about any of that. It's about believing God. It's about believing that he is able and willing to do what it is that you need done. So he got in the car and he turned around and looked at me and he said, what changed? What's different? That he's here. I said, yeah, he's here. And I told him what, I, what I'd heard and he got real excited too. And then I, we made it to his house. And when that happened... All of a sudden, I had this sensation in my right hand that uh, that happened. I just, if you remember being a kid and you would fall and scrape your hand on the on the concrete, and there would be that burning sensation, you know, in the hand. It was like that without pain, and it was it was hot, and. We were driving home and I told him about, I don't know what's going on here. I, this has never happened before. What is this? And I had already made plans and I was already late to go see another brother. So 
when we got to his house, he really wanted to talk to me about this, and I wanted to talk to him, but I had to get up and leave. So I, I walked to the brother's house, which is just down the street, and I didn't think about it anymore. And we had a good fellowship and, and talked and everything, and I went home. And I was, I was hobbling around, you know, doing my, my best to, you know, just get from place to place, couch to couch. And, and, and I was okay. But one day, uh, we had done something, and I can't remember what it was, but I went and took a shower. And when I got into the shower, I was in so much pain, I could hardly stand on that foot. And I looked down, and around my, my toes, it was red and swollen, and I couldn't move my toes and it was it was excruciating and and i thought oh no here it comes again i don't want to be here in norway and be laid up to where i can't i can't make it from the bed to the to the bathroom i can't do that i'll be here miserable and i'll just be a burden on everybody and i i can't do that and i i prayed then and i said god i know that you made a way for me to be here and you moved in such a way that I could be here. And Lord, I need your help. I can't do this with my foot being messed up like this. Because, you know, it had gotten to where when it go, went bad, it would take a month for that foot to get better. And while that foot was getting better, the other one would go bad, and it would take a month for it to get better. And sometimes... I would be down for three months, not able to walk. And so I made it back upstairs, and I thought, you know, this is going to be, I'm going to be a dirty, nasty mess because I can't make it up and down these stairs just to take a shower. You know, I'm just going to be laying in bed by myself. I spent all this money to come to Norway to be by myself. And I walked into the room and I told Robert, I said, I, I need God to do something for me because I can't, I can't do this anymore. And I was barefoot and he saw my foot the way it was. I said, look, look this, I, can't, I can't walk like this. I can't live like this. I can't do what God wants me to do with this. And Robert says, well, he's here. You got to love Brother Robert. He just says things with just, you know, matter of fact, he's here. I said, yeah, I know. God's always here, whatever. You know, my, my, my thought at the time was, yeah, he's here. What's he going to do? <laughs> you know, so, so he's here. And Robert goes, no, you don't understand. He's here. And when he comes, he, he comes to do things. He doesn't just show his presence to say, oh, look at me, I'm here. Worship me and then I'll leave. Or like we thought, you know, I'm going to shout now. We're going to jump in and praise the Lord together. Okay. Because that was my thought is he's here. I was like, I don't, I don't have the energy to sh shout right now. You know, I was like, okay. No, Jesse, you don't understand. When God's presence shows up, he comes with everything that you need. He comes with all the gifts 
all the things that he has promised are in his presence. So that when his presence shows up, he says, I'm here. What do you need? And so I said, okay. And it kind of dawned on me a little bit what he was saying. I said, okay. I said, well, then pray for me. I want to be healed. And Robert got up from the couch as best he could because he was still, he was pretty messed up himself. And he got down on the floor. I'll never know how he did that. He got on the floor and put my feet on his legs, on his thighs, and prayed for me. And I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel this mighty rush of, of power. I didn't feel thunder and lightning. There wasn't a voice. There wasn't this grand entrance. There wasn't a light. The angels didn't sing. He prayed, and he got done. And I said, okay, because that was what I was used to, praying and nothing happens. So when it come time, put my foot back on the floor, there was a difference. And, I, and it shocked me because I was just gingerly setting my foot down because it hurt just to touch it. Just to touch it, it was pain. And I put my foot down in there, and it, there was something different. It didn't hurt. And I stood up, and it didn't hurt. And I started to walk across the floor, and it didn't hurt. And by then, I started to get a little happy. I, started, I said, Lord, I said, Robert, what's going on, man? I don't hurt anymore. And he said, well, God healed you. I said, no, he couldn't have. No, no, he didn't. Yeah, he did. He healed you. I started testing it. I started going back and forth, putting all my weight on it and jumping up and down, you know. Everything that I could do to test it. And he says, yeah, there's something different here. And while I was standing there, I started to praise God and I put my hands up and I started praising the Lord and all of a sudden I could feel in my feet the bones start to move like this. And they started popping. And you could hear them. You could hear them pop. And Brother Robert, he was sitting on the other side of the living room and he can testify. He heard my foot pop. He didn't know what was going on because I wasn't moving. I was just standing there, and my feet were popping. And when I looked down, the redness and the swelling wasn't just going away. It was gone. Immediately, it was gone. Well, I was happier than ever then. And I said, what happened? What just happened? I was healed. There was no thunder. There was no lightning. No one prophesied to me. Nobody said, thus saith the Lord, you're healed. Hey, what's going on here? Does that mean that the power of God can come to me in the living room and heal me? And I don't need a thus saith the Lord? That's exactly what it meant. And then I was sitting there and I could feel the Holy Spirit just fill the room. 
and my hand, it went on fire. Now, I'm going to tell a few things that happened around this. There's no power here. This is just Jesse's hand. This is just my hand. When the Spirit comes, it's still just my hand. I can touch you with it. I can shake your hand, and nothing happens. There's no glory in this. This became a sign to me that his presence was near and that he was ready to do something. So when this happened, this is only the second time that this has happened. And I said, Robert, this, my hand is, is on fire. I don't know what this means. I don't know what it means. What's going on? And he gets up, he comes and he grabs my hand and he takes it and he puts it right here on his back. And he says, pray. <laughs> I said, okay. And when he did that and I touched him, it was then it was like electricity just come flying through me. And I started to pray. And the words that were coming out of my mouth were things like, Lord, you open up the pathway for the life that you have given him to regenerate what's going on in his body. And all of a sudden, this, this like breeze, this cool breeze with no wind coming just over me. And it was so refreshing. It's like when, you, when you've been outside in a really hot day and you walk into Walmart and that air conditioner hits you, you're... But there wasn't no wind. It just that feeling come. And as soon as it hit me and it went through my hand, Robert goes, thank you, Lord, for that cool breeze you just gave. I didn't say nothing. The Spirit was confirming it to him. We were both feeling the same thing at the same time. And the Lord healed him. And we went from hobbling from couch to couch to climbing mountains within four days. The next day, we kind of we were kind of like in shock because there was no grand explosion. It was just like when you got saved. When you expected the Lord to save you because that's what he said in his word. It's the same thing. You expect him to heal you because that's what he said in his word. Say, well, what, what about when we don't get healed? I can't tell you. It doesn't mean that you don't have enough faith. Don't ever think that. That's not what this is about. Healing is not about gathering up faith. Healing is not about touching God and making him do what you want him to do. Healing is about recognizing that God wants to. That God is able and willing, just like the leper. I know that you can do this if you will. And God says, I, I will. And then you trust in that. There's no special magic words that happen. And we got up and we started walking around. We walked around the block once and, and we were tired. <laughs> we were done. Okay, I think we did enough for today. Yeah, okay. And we had to, 
had to re-teach my back how to walk because I was so used to hobbling around that it, the muscles to use to normally walk were foreign. I had to tell my back, no, you're fine. You're not, you're not, you're not hurting anymore. You're able to do this. Walk natural. And I would. I would walk. But I was tired because I hadn't done it in a long time. There was, it was a miracle that God straightened up the, the problem, but the body hadn't figured it out all the way yet. So a lot of people can get discouraged and say, well, I guess God didn't do it. No, your body just didn't, isn't aware of it yet. So I, we walked the next day and we walked a little further. And then the next day, we walked a little further. And then Robert was up all day on his feet. He cleaned the whole house. And I, and I was just sitting there watching him. And I, you know, because I don't know how to clean his house. You know, I don't know where stuff goes. And he was just like a whirlwind everywhere. And he come to me, he goes, you know, I just, you know, I'm not really hurting all that much. And I said, yeah. You notice that you cleaned the whole house today? He goes, I did. What happened? God healed him. And to this day, he can walk. And he doesn't have to go and sit on the couch. The poor man, we would sit at supper to eat. And he would be sitting there at the, at the table. And it would hit him so hard that he would have to take his food and go to the couch and lay down. He couldn't make it through a meal without his back trying to kill him. And then at this time, he had three kids and another one on the way. And the youngest one was two. So she was able to run around real good. And if you're hurting, you don't have the energy to do it. You don't have the thing to what's necessary to keep up with that kid. Even when, you, when you're not hurting, you might not have what's necessary. But God healed him. And me too. I climbed a mountain in four days after that. It was hard on me. Well, I didn't go running up that mountain. I never got to where I could do that because, hey, God healed my feet. I'm still fat. You know, it, it, it was hard on my body, but I was able to do it without any extra pain. When, I, when it was time for me to come home, I didn't have to worry about it. It didn't hurt. I went and laid down on a bench somewhere in Amsterdam and slept. And it didn't hurt me. I come all the way home with no pain. And I'm able to walk anywhere that I want to. I'm able to stand as long as I really want to. I can work on cars. I can, you know, <laughs> I can do anything. Because God did the work. And I'm healed to this day. I don't, even, I don't even have a pair of crutches in the house anymore. There might be one crutch laying around here somewhere because I haven't found it yet to throw it away. But there's no walker here. There's no uh, wheelchair here. I don't need those things anymore because God healed me. And you know, when I come, I come down off of that mountain the first day and I come and I, I lay down afterwards because it wore me out. I'm 
it was uh it was not it's not easy and there there are guys over there that run up that thing every day and i'm like you know god bless you but but you know for me i'm a flatlander we live around here in the flatlands and i, I don't do those i don't do hills so uh i got down and I laid down there and my foot hurt a little bit. And the devil, first thing he said, see, now you overdid it. God's not going to honor his healing because you overdid it. You're being foolish. And first, my first reaction is, yeah, you're right. Then I thought, no, God came to heal me. Not to, he didn't bring any stipulations you're healed, but don't do this and, and don't don't be doing that. And really, you shouldn't do. No, he came to give me my life back. And you know what? I said no to the devil. When the devil comes and tells you what God did, what God really did for you, you look at him in the face and say, "Uh-uh, this isn't you. You don't have any say here. God is the one that did it. I'm going to believe what he did, not what you say about what he did." So I said, no, I'm not listening to you. And I got up and the pain was gone. That little bit of pain was gone. Just, I'm not listening to you. Because I know what God did. And I, and I went through that whole trip without any pain. And I was walking like crazy. And it was a beautiful time. And God did a lot of, a lot of things for a lot of people over there. And uh, he taught me while I was there that it's not about, you know, because we were always taught that if you don't believe, if you doubt, even for a moment, God will take it away. What God has given you, he's given you. And there was a sister, I won't go into all of it, but she was healed. And the first thing to come out of her mouth is, I don't believe it. It didn't change anything. She's still healed. I don't believe this. Well, that means you don't get it then. She's still healed. It's not about doubt. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, didn't, I didn't do right, God. Because it's about recognizing who God is. When you recognize that your father is good, there's a scripture that says, if, you, if your son asks you for bread, do you give him a stone? If, if, you, if he wants a fish, do you give him a snake? How, how much better is God then with you being evil, know how to treat your children right, God being holy and good, he knows how to treat his children right. Let's all be like Peter's mother-in-law. She just accepted what God did. Didn't even have to ask. And I've lived my life every, every day since, and I've watched God just give blessing after blessing. This is my life. Because I trust him. And I recognize when he does things for me. You know, it might be small things, like finding me a parking spot closer to the building. <laughs> it might not seem like a lot, but... When you know that he's doing something for you, you, you're appreciative. So I just wanted to lay that out there as a record of part of what God did for me while I was there. 
Because I could spend hours telling you things that happened and everything. And the way that God led me there and got me there just before lockdown, uh, God's timing is perfect and he knows what he's doing. It's time for us to trust him. So with that, I'm going to close in prayer and God bless you all. Dear precious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the mighty works that you have done in my life and that I have seen you do for others, Lord. Lord, I ask that you would take this testimony and let it be a tool, Lord, to help the people to recognize your character, that you are good and that you are holy and you're not vindictive and you're not looking to punish people for transgressions, but that you gave a way for us to have our sins forgiven and washed clean and never to be remembered anymore. And Lord, that we should live in the spirit of that, that our whole life we should live knowing that your character has forgiven us and that your character loves us. And that from now on, Lord, that whenever you do things for us, Lord, that we accept them not because we are good, not because we are even worthy, but because you love us and because you are wonderful. Lord, I ask that you would bless each and every heart, Lord, and help them to know more of you. In Jesus' name I pray.